This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this session, uh, this seminar this afternoon. Thank you for coming. Today, you're going to be hearing the full findings from three studies, which are part of our HE Engagement Research Programme. The emerging findings from these studies were presented uh, in March to the DfE and in April at a UCAS conference um, and came out round about the same time, coincided with an exchange of letters between the Secretary of State and Ofqual around the question of HE engagement in A-level reform and have led to some policy statements in that area, so very topical. Um, and today we've got the full findings being presented here. Um, there's been a great deal of media attention around this work, as many of you will have seen, um, particularly because of the policies which are now being discussed about how HE can be involved in the reform of A levels, which is very close to our hearts. So presenting this afternoon, we have Sally Brown, who is from OCR Partnerships. We have Irene Casuto and Sanjana Mehta, who are from the Research Division in ARD. And we also have with us this afternoon Elizabeth Jeffrey, who is a consultant for uh, Cambridge Assessment. And she worked on the <coughs> Literature Review, which is one of the three studies. The team will be presenting for about an hour, and then we have half an hour of questions and discussion, um, and so plenty of time for that. Um, and I'll now hand over to Sally, who I think is kicking off. Thank you very much. Okay, I thought it would just be nice for you to hear some of the background, as far as OCR are concerned, about the work they've been doing with higher education and how we've worked with ARD to further that. Um, for those that you don't know, we um, in about autumn of 2010, we started thinking we needed to strengthen our engagement with higher education. We already have quite a lot of engagement with higher education in the form of examiners and developers, but the sort of closer relationships that we used to have in the past with higher education had, been, had kind of disappeared as we had the onset of government bodies like QCDA. So to sort of reinvigorate that relationship, we set up a series of forums one is a higher education forum, which has, now has representation from 35 universities and is there to sort of inform our strategic thinking around qualifications that are designed for entry to higher education. Sitting underneath that, we have 10 subject forums. Initially, we started with eight, and they tended to be the subjects that are the top A-level subjects. So we have maths, English and sciences, history, psychology, modern foreign languages... And business and just recently we've added two extra forums to that which are more for the vocational learning so that's um, ICT and health and social care. Within the subject forums we wanted to have a wider representation than just HE because we believe there are more stakeholders in the development of A-levels so we have representation from teachers, um, subject associations, professional bodies, learned societies charitable organisations like the Nuffield and Gatsby, and where we can, employers. Across all those forums, which run twice a year, the Higher Education Forum runs three times a year, there were a series of common themes emerging. They were to do with things like selection, the, different, the difficulty in differentiating between students now who all have high-level grades, um, the distorting effect of AS, Things like to do with subjects, the, the need for greater math in some subjects, especially things like sciences. Issues such as widening readly or even being able to read a whole book. These were sort of common themes that were coming across out of the forums. And we recognised that we wanted to test those wi more widely. We're really pleased that we have over 140 HE reps on our forum and, that's, and they, they attend voluntarily and they are an essentially willing individuals but we recognised that we needed to test those findings further and we needed to develop an evidence base around some of these themes. So we developed a planned schedule of work and we were thinking about doing questionnaires and we'd, we'd talked about the design of A-level roadshows and we thought we might have a tour bus going across the country. But in the end, we 
took the much more sensible decision and decided to work with ARD, and they have helped us enormously in those two strands of work, and Irenka and Sanjana are going to present those. Well, good afternoon. Um, as, as Sally said, to, to complement OCR's HE Engagement Programme, ARD set up this HE Engagement Research Programme, and that's um, really underpinning and supporting a, a long-standing desire across Cambridge Assessment um, to reassert the balance between um, schools, awarding bodies, and higher education in the design and development of qualifications. And as Sally touched on a bit as well, right back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, um, higher education, university lecturers were very much involved in the development of qualifications and um, very successfully um, too. And since then, in the last half century, whilst the number of A-level students has grown and whilst the number of A-level students using those qualifications to go on to um, higher education has grown, the influence of lecturers and other staff with teaching responsibilities in HE has waned quite a lot and research in itself is a good way of reinvigorating those links and getting people back involved and um, drawing from them and their their own expertise. So that was part of the reasoning for the the current research programme. As Sally said, we wanted to support um, the forums to to find out how generalisable the views were that were expressed in those the current project um, schedule here goes on till, till the end of this year, but we envisage it to continue into, into the future and into further years as, as new projects are added, as, as the older projects are completed. And um, today we want to focus on three projects. And these are the, there's a study of um, HE tutors' views on core academic abilities and pedagogical approaches, um, the pedagogical differences between levels three and four, so A-level and so on, versus university and then there's the design of A-levels roadshow as well. So these are the three studies that we're focusing on today as part of this wider programme, which in itself is part of the ARD's research division's wider research programme. So lots of nested um, facts there. Um, the three projects were designed to address aspects of these four main research questions. Firstly, in which areas do university lecturers think that undergraduates are most prepared? In which areas do they think undergrads are least prepared? What, therefore, are the transitional challenges faced by new undergraduates? And also, if at all, how could A-levels be improved? So these were the four four questions that we focused on. We're now going to talk about the methods and participant characteristics of all three studies together, and then we'll go on to describe the findings from all three studies together. And this is because the studies are linked. They're part of a a mixed methods approach to research that we've taken in these three studies and also in the wider programme of research. You can see that we've used um, three different methods, a questionnaire, literature review, and then a ranking task linked with focus groups. And that's enabled us to generate both quantitative and qualitative data. The quantitative data allows us to generalise views across larger populations, but perhaps in less detail, whereas the qualitative data allows us to explore in more depth, more intricate issues, and to um, understand the reasons behind people's um, initial um, views and statements. And we've also had three different, four different researchers involved in leading these different projects. So the benefits of mixed methods research of this kind are that we can corroborate and triangulate findings when different methods, different types of data, different researchers with their own prejudices and biases all come up with similar findings. And that adds weight to the conclusions that can be drawn from, from the research and hopefully adds to its robustness. So we took a mixed methods approach. The first study that I I was responsible for was the questionnaire study, and that was all about investigating the wider representativeness of the views expressed by HE lecturers during the consultative forums. We weren't sure what particular individuals with access to grind or um, particular issues to bring out that were attending these forums, or were they more typical of the wider populations of of lecturers, and we wanted to um, look at the views of lecturers from lots of different types of universities as well, not just some select um, selective universities. And, um, and so we developed a questionnaire through extensive piloting, and we tested our questions with, with lecturers in some of the consultative forums to say, well, is this going to be meaningful? Are we going, have we worded this in a, in a sensible way? Are there other issues that you'd like us to explore? So there was this iterative process that took quite a few weeks until finally we were happy with our questionnaire. The idea was really to get something that people would be willing to do quite quickly so it's supposed to be quite user-friendly, so we'd get a good response rate. So the final version was available online. It comprised 13 questions, and it took about 10 minutes to complete. 
And it was designed to be suitable for lecturers in any subject so that we'd be able to use it again in the future with other populations of, of lecturers if we wanted to do so. And the, the questionnaire doesn't itself refer to A-levels from any particular awarding body. Often the questions don't even refer to A-levels as such. They just talk about the preparedness of undergraduates. In our piloting process, we found that a lot of lecturers don't distinguish between AQA, A-levels, and OCR ones, and Excel ones, and so on, so it wouldn't be meaningful to ask questions on that level of detail. So we got our questionnaire ready, and we looked up lots and lots of university lecturers' details on websites, university official websites, and we identified people with teaching responsibilities, and we invited them by personalised email to participate in the research. Mail merges are a wonderful thing for this kind of task if anyone wants to do it themselves. Um, and we focused on, on four subject groups, really. We, we, we looked at biology, English, and mathematics, and these were subjects that OCR had identified as important ones and, and ones that may well be subject to reform in the future. And then we had a fourth group, a kind of mixed bag of lecturers in a whole range of other subjects. I think um, there were a lot of historians in that, 14% historians, and there were also sizable chunks of psychologists, engineers, chemists, and, and then one or two or three or four lecturers from a whole wide range of subjects. Um, so those were the people we invited. And we also targeted um, five different university groupings evenly. So we asked lecturers at even numbers of universities from the Russell Group, 1994, million plus, um, and a couple of other groupings, non-affiliated, and the University Alliance to take part. And th these are our responses. We got 633 responses, which I feel, feel was a good response rate. It's about 20%, and that indicates a healthy appetite for engagement in this kind of research. We asked... Um, participants if they wanted to provide their contact details so we could identify them and about a third of them did so they indicated that they'd be happy to take part or be interested in taking part in further research so, so that was useful for us so we've built up a nice um, database of, of connections there um, and you can see the, the four bars represent the four different subjects biology english mathematics and other and we had at least 150 in each of those groups those nice even groups make it easy to make comparisons across the subjects in the data analysis so that was that was fortunate. Um, we found different response rates among the different affiliations. The, the colours haven't quite come out well on this, this slide, but these middle bars here indicate the Russell Group responses. And overall, about 40% of responders were Russell Group lecturers. So um, over, the other thing you can see here is that across the subjects, we've got reasonably similar proportions of response rates. So the patterns seem to be the same across, across the lecturers. In terms of teaching experience, again, across the four subject groups, they were all pretty similar, and we had highly experienced responders, highly experienced um, lecturers in this study. About 50 to 60% of them had at least 11 years of teaching experience, and then a further quarter of lecturers had 6 to 10 years of experience, and then a few were newer to the job with 0 to 5 years' experience. And we also asked... Um, our respondents an initial question about their teaching responsibilities. We initially wanted to focus on lecturers who were teaching first-year undergraduates, but when we looked for their details on websites, we found that it was very difficult to ascertain exactly which year groups people were teaching, and they tended to teach multiple year groups. So we decided that we would invite everyone with teaching responsibility to take part and see who we got. And 80% of respondents, indicated by these red bars here, taught um, first-year undergraduates at the time of the study, which was earlier this year. And then large numbers also taught second and third years. Fewer taught fourth years. In mathematics, that was a bit higher, and I think that's because the other subjects don't tend to have fourth-year um, courses in their degrees. And then quite a lot of people taught postgraduates, as indicated by the, the blue bars there as well. So a good range of teaching experience. So those are the characteristics of the questionnaire respondents, and Sanjin is going to tell you about the roadshow methods. Thank you. Um, so as Irenka said, in addition to the questionnaire, we also, uh, Sally and I also conducted a qualitative study to explain and corroborate the questionnaire findings. We conducted uh, seven data collection sessions across four cities in England and uh, with a total of 48 participants. Now, each data collection session had two linked research activities. There was a prioritization task and the focus group. The priori in the prioritization task, we gave the participants a list of 10 skills 
skills and abilities considered important for university study. For example, uh, academic writing, self-directed study. And uh, the participants were asked to indicate from this list two areas in which new undergraduates came most prepared and two areas in which they came least prepared. This list of skills and abilities was developed from the views that were frequently expressed in OCR's higher education consultative forums and also from some previous studies. Uh, moreover, we included this list, the same list in the questionnaire to corroborate the findings. Uh, so each session started with a prioritization task followed on by the focus groups. In the focus groups, we discussed the participants' reasons for selecting certain skills and abilities and along with a number of other topics which will be discussed in the subsequent slides. Now, I have to say there was very close collaboration with OCR on this project. Sally had very helpfully organized all the data collection sessions and had uh, recruited the participants. ARD brought in the research framework for, for, this, uh, for this data collection. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we had a total of 48 participants uh, who were lecturers from, uh, from universities and other representatives from higher education bodies who participated in this study. Uh, some participants were relatively new to higher education teaching, while the others had uh, were very senior members of their departments. In addition to teaching, uh, several participants also performed a number of other roles. For instance, they were um, in charge of admissions at their, at their department or provided pastoral care to the students. Um, uh, finally, we, uh, the, the, our sample, the, the, the lecturers in our sample taught a wide range of subjects from a number of disciplines. So all of this helped us to collect multiple views from different perspectives. And then the third study was the, the literature review which Liz Jeffrey conducted. And the idea behind this was to examine pedagogical approaches used at A-level and university, levels three and four, in schools and colleges and universities in England. Um, ten major studies were reviewed and they generally employed self-report methods, asking teachers and students and lecturers what they thought for their views. And the, the studies were all conducted in the decade following the curriculum 2000. Um, the studies covered a range of um, academic subjects, English, history, geography, psychology and business studies. And the studies covered multiple viewpoints. There were the views of lecturers and um, students, undergraduates, and then there were also the views of A-level teachers and their students as well. And there were various different views of different lecturers and tutors on different stages of education. So now moving on to the research findings from, from all three of these studies. We started at the questionnaire, the start of the questionnaire, we asked... In general, how well prepared do you think new first-year undergraduates are for degree-level study in your subject? And um, over 50% of lecturers think that undergraduates are underprepared. These bottom two bars indicate lecturers who thought students were either not prepared or not at all prepared. And um, the, the pattern is similar across the subjects. It's slightly lower for English, so there's slightly more satisfaction there. But generally, the findings aren't too positive these orange bars here indicate people who felt that lecturers, that undergraduates are neither poorly prepared nor well prepared. And these top bars here indicate the 8% of lecturers feel that undergraduates are well prepared or very well prepared for university. The DfE was interested to know whether the Russell Group lecturers had different views on this from all the other lecturers. So we conducted this analysis and we did that for a lot of subsequent analyses that we report. And the findings weren't that much different. For biology, the level of dissatisfaction dropped to about 40%. That was the only significant difference, really. For the other subjects, um, the, the views were the same. The next question in the questionnaire was, was, in your opinion, which of the following are strengths of typical undergraduates when they begin degree-level study in your subject? And the, the different coloured bars in this graph indicate the different subject groups. And quite, quite a few of these bars are quite small, indicating that people weren't saying... Oh, that so many skills were, um, were strengths. We got this list of skills from the, the focus groups that OCR had conducted previously. We'd identified the types of skills that people were saying maybe strengths or weaknesses. And um, the ones that were most likely to be considered strengths were practical and ICT skills, intellectual curiosity and motivation, communication and presentation skills, and teamwork and collaborative skills. Um, <coughs> So those were the, the views there. There were also lecturers, similar numbers of lecturers, actually, who felt that these particular skills here were weaknesses of undergraduates, but these are the skills most likely to be considered strengths.
So very similar views emerged in the focus groups. Uh, they asked the questionnaire findings. The top three most popular, uh, popular choices for the most prepared areas were ICT skills, teamwork and collaboration, and communication and presentation skills. With regard to ICT skills, the participants suggested that students were not only proficient in basic ICT, like um, using PowerPoints, word processing, internet searches, but were also able to transfer their learning to new and sophisticated areas, for instance, in the use of statistical packages of which they had no previous experience or creating internet pages to help their lecturers. In fact, there was one lecturer who pointed out that in their department they used to run modules to, uh, and provide training to new undergraduates in ICT skills, but recently they had decided to discontinue that module because they found that students were coming very well prepared in ICT skills and therefore did not require any further training. Uh, participants also said that uh, they found students were very enthusiastic while working in teams and, uh, and collaborated successfully. A lot of these trends were linked to A-level teaching. They felt that, um, they believed that uh, students at A-level were, be, were being given a lot of experience in teamwork and therefore were able to perform successfully in similar situations at university. Um, uh, the lecturers also said that students were very confident communicators, whether it came to making individual presentations, participating in group discussions, or participating in lectures. Uh, depth of subject knowledge was an interesting area. It had several dimensions, and um, it also related. Uh, it also generated some debate in the focus groups. Uh, there were some uh, um, lecturers, especially from the science faculties, who felt that students came with an adequate level of knowledge and understanding in that subject area. Here are some quotes from the roadshow participants. So the first one, geniuses aren't they? They tell us what to do, relates to students' ICT competence. Um, confident communication, and then, as I was saying, that lecturers, particularly from the science departments, felt that students came with an <coughs> adequate level of knowledge and understanding and were satisfied with their depth of knowledge. We then went on in the questionnaire to ask lecturers, in your opinion, which of the following are weaknesses of typical undergraduates when they begin degree-level study in your subject? And we have the same list of skills that we asked about in the in the the question about strengths and again lecturers had the chance to tick as many of those skills as they liked and you can see that generally the bars in this graph are much higher than the ones in the previous graph indicating that lecturers were more likely to identify weaknesses than they were to identify strengths. Academic writing was identified as a, a weakness by lecturers in all four subjects as were self-directed study, independent inquiry and research skills and critical and higher order thinking skills. This green bar here indicates that for biology, um, mathematical and numerical skills were considered a weakness. And, and this finding has also been, um, it fits well with recent research by the Nuffield Foundation and by SCORE. Um, depth of subject knowledge is an interesting one, as, as Sanjana has just mentioned, and she's going to come back to that later. But here, in, on this question, quite a few lecturers did identify it as a, as a weakness. We compared the Russell Group lecturers to all the others in this question and the last one, asking them about what they felt were the strengths and weaknesses. And they tended to identify strengths slightly more often than the other lecturers and weaknesses slightly less often. So they tended to be just slightly more positive overall than the other 60% of the lecturers in the study. However, those differences were really quite, quite small. So uh, the areas that stood out as, um, uh, as underprepared areas in the questionnaire were also the ones that were highlighted most often in the, in the focus groups. Um, uh, critical higher order, uh, students' lack of ability to think critically was a common concern expressed by a number of participants from a range of universities and a range of subjects. Furthermore, they suggested that this aspect had two related uh, elements, a skill aspect, that is, students don't have the ability to evaluate information, and secondly, an attitude issue. So that is, even when the students have the ability and the knowledge to make evaluative judgments, they lack confidence and they tend to demonstrate hesitation and tentativeness. 
Um, a student's lack of preparation and academic writing skills was also considered to be a major problem by university lecturers. Uh, they also said that this particular area consisted of a number of related and progressively more challenging skills. Uh, firstly, they mentioned that uh, students are perhaps not able to write well due to their poor understanding of spelling, punctuation and grammar. They also felt that students did not have an idea of how to structure information for an essay into an introduction, a main body and conclusion. Um, with referencing and citing, there were some participants who suggested that students tend to play safe by quoting large chunks of information and other participants who said that actually students don't make enough reference to literature. So there was both aspects. Um, they, they also said that students don't know how to build an argument into an essay, so they're not able to link information from different sources, they're not able to critically evaluate the information in an essay, and this was linked back to uh, students' lack of critical thinking ability. Finally, several uh, participants said that students don't know how to play with language. They're not able to use language creatively and constructively. In this regard, there was one lecturer who pointed out that um, they found it really tedious to read the personal statements that were submitted by students as part of their uh, admissions applications because they all read exactly the same. The, the last uh, most popular choice uh, for underprepared area, that is independent in inquiry and research skills, herein the, the university lecturers said that in addition to not being able to carry out research, the, part, uh, the students actually don't even know what research really means. And we've got a few quotes illustrating that. So, uh, once again, some of these areas of underpreparedness were linked to uh, lecturers' perception of uh, the, the, the nature of teaching or the nature of assessment at pre-university education. So, they really struggle to go from short essays that they've got to pass the exams with to a huge essay at level four. These are perceptions, and uh, one can argue that there might be some misinformation that is reflected or represented um, in these courts, and there's some misinformation within the higher education community. Um, in addition to the top three choices uh, that they, um, the top three skills or areas that they selected in the prioritization task, the participants also commented on some other weaknesses uh, in there that they found in the undergraduates. They said that students had no idea about their strengths or limitations. They had limited or no understanding of the skills that they had developed previously before coming to university. And finally, they had no idea about how to transfer their previous knowledge and learning to, um, to university study. Um, lack of ability to read or poor reading skills were mentioned very frequently by several participants. Herein, they said that, uh, lecturers said that uh, they felt that students weren't motivated to read, uh, they weren't interested in reading around a topic, and they had no stamina to read long books or for extended periods. And they were certainly not prepared to read during their free time, as is illustrated in this quote. Um, as Irenk had mentioned earlier, um, that depth of subject knowledge was, was, was one aspect where there was less agreement among the lecturers about whether this was a strength of undergraduates or a weakness. While some participants felt that students lacked um, depth of understanding in their subject area, others, as I mentioned before, particularly from the science departments, felt that students were coming with adequate information, adequate knowledge in their um, in their subject area, and we've got two quotes here from lecturers who were teaching biology and chemistry. And uh, we've also got a quote from a questionnaire respondent uh, who agrees that uh, the coverage of content in maths and physics A-levels was not a problem. And uh, the universities also recognize that students will experience a culture shock. They will experience transitional difficulties while moving from school to universities. And that the universities were trying to help students make the transition from being spoon-fed to being able to design a spoon and then feed themselves. So they're you know, focus on skills. Moving back to the, the questionnaire, um, we wanted to ask um, lecturers about the transitional challenges, which may or may not be a, a, a good or bad thing. Um, we asked them, which of the following aspects of teaching and assessment in higher education pose transitional challenges for typical undergraduates when they begin degree level study in your subject? And you can see by the, the tall bars here, 
that for all four subjects, amount of self-directed study was considered to pose a transitional challenge. And this linked issue here, expectations that undergraduates make their own notes and they're not handed everything on a plate, was considered to be quite a challenge. Other lecturers mentioned the amount of large group teaching, um, the format and style of assessments in higher education, and students having fewer opportunities to reset exams than at, at school and college. Um, the literature review threw up a number of um, findings from other people's research that, that might be used to explain or at least account for some of these transitional challenges that students seem to be facing. At level three, which is A-level, of course, and other subjects, um, the main aim is often perceived by teachers and students to be to impart the curriculum and to ensure that students get good grades. The teachers all tend to have PGCEs and a strong teaching background and they undertake continual professional development and teaching affects effectiveness and in fact both system and individual effectiveness is often measured or perceived to be measured in the public by um, position in league tables and teachers are able to maintain personal and frequent interactions with their students because they're dealing with small classes of 10-20 students and they know them all by name they they get to know them on a on a quite personal level and students tend to be seen as receptive learners and the teachers impart all the information that's required in order to do well at A-level and go on to something else. At level four, higher education in contrast, the main aim of education at this level is perceived to be to encourage autonomy, self-confidence, problem-solving abilities and subject enthusiasm. So that's, that's quite different. And teachers and, and lecturers tend to have strong research backgrounds. That's how they've gone into being lecturers, but they tend to have weaker teaching Backgrounds. Few of them have formal qualifications and professional development is relatively scant. Um, there's relatively little formal monitoring of teaching effectiveness compared with at A-level. And tutors, perhaps as a consequence of some of these factors, tend to adopt um, a more hands-off approach. They let the students go away and get on with it. They provide the basic information and then they expect students to go out and explore issues and investigate and conduct investigations for themselves. So those are the, some, some of the differences, some further findings from the literature review. That at level three, um, A-level, the function of essays is perceived by some people to be to, to regurgitate facts and figures. You, you take in what the teacher's told you in the lesson and then you write it back out in an essay to show that you have captured everything that you've been told. Whereas at level four, the function of essays is perceived to be to, to illustrate original and, to, and critical thinking, to show off what you know, to go in and explore things for yourself and add something new and surprise the lecturer. Um, the ideas about assessment are different at the two levels as well, um, though this might be changing, I, I would say. Students are thoroughly prepared for assessment at level three. They're provided with all the information they needed. We live in a transparency and accountability culture in which people can access all the past papers on the internet very easily from the exam boards and so on. Whereas at level four, um, students are expected to gather more of the information for, for themselves. Um, and then again at level three, perhaps as a consequence of the size of um, student groupings, assessment feedback is personalised and provided regularly and in a timely way. Students and teachers sit down together and go through past papers, lessons, focus on that. Whereas at level four, um, when you've got a lecture of 100 students in the lecture hall, 100 essays to mark, feedback is inevitably perhaps um, less specific and, and not always timely. Um, and at level three, teachers have few strategies to aid transition and they don't have enough time to promote university level skills. Of course, they've got classes of students, who, some of whom are not going to go on to university or don't wish to and have other career paths ahead of them. And they've got to consider the whole class of A-level students, not just those going on to become university students. Whereas at level four, tutors must promote the skills required for degree level study. It's very much more in their interests to do so. So there are all these differences between A-level and um, university that the literature review has, has thrown up. Some of these you might say are quite long-standing, perhaps nothing new. And you might also argue that some of them are no bad thing. You might expect students to want to have a qualitatively different experience at university and not just to want more of the same at A-level. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing that students face some transitional challenges. However, some of them are perhaps more problematic. There, there seem to be more concern in the literature about the, the way in which level three has changed to become more assessment-driven at a more rapid pace than level four has changed to become more assessment-focused. Though with the introduction of tuition fees, that might change, I think. Sally will probably say a bit more about that later. So just going back to the questionnaire now, 
um, on a different topic, we asked the lecturers, which A-level subjects do you consider to be the best preparation for degree-level study in your subject? And these are the responses of the biology lecturers. You can see that there are three long bars here, biology, chemistry, and mathematics. I think that finding is reasonably intuitive. Quite a few people said physics as well was a a good preparation as an A-level subject. These are the results for English, and the top three subjects here are history, English, and English literature. I'd just like to add a note of caution that this this graph um, is perhaps a bit confusing and difficult to interpret and perhaps reflects some misunderstandings and confusions among lecturers themselves. Some people, um, people had the, the opportunity to write whichever subjects they wanted to down in the questionnaire. Some lecturers wrote English language, some wrote English literature, some simply wrote English, some wrote English language and literature, and various combinations of, of that. So it was quite difficult to divide up the data. So what we've done is we grouped English and English language together and English literature separately, where people have specified it separately. So you might want to add those two bars together to get the total number of responses that refer to English or some kind of English subject, which would make it twice as big as, as history. So this is a slightly tricky graph, and it was difficult to know exactly how to analyse that data. Um, but there was a, a big range of other subjects that smaller numbers of English lecturers mentioned. <coughs> Mathematics was much more straightforward. Um, the top three subjects there were maths, further maths and physics. Um, so that was probably what we'd have expected. And then in the other subject um, group, um, so that was 150-odd lecturers in a whole range of subjects, the top three <coughs> subjects came out as history English and mathematics. Now, 14% of this group were actually historians. That's 22 lecturers. And if you take those from the top of this bar, you come down to about 40 responses, um, 38 responses. And that means that it's still a popular subject, even if you exclude all the historians who said, of course, history is the right subject. And then English and maths were popular, even though there were no English or maths lecturers in, in this group of participants. So that was, those are the pop- most popular A-level subjects amongst lecturers, maths, history and English. We then went on to ask the lecturers, does your institution provide additional support classes for underprepared first-year undergraduates? And 60% of lecturers said, yes, the institutions do provide additional support classes. That finding is very consistent across the four subject groups. Um, So um, that was quite quite a surprise to me. we, we compared Russell Group lecturers with all the other lecturers and we found similar, similar numbers again. There wasn't that much, much of a difference between those two categories of lecturer. We asked, well, if yes, if you do provide, if, if your institution provides additional classes, what do they focus on? And classes tend to focus on writing and independent learning skills. The, the black lines here indicate um, writing skills. I'm sorry, the colours are slightly odd. Um, So particularly in English, writing skills, also in biology and the other subjects. Whereas in mathematics, subject-specific content, more maths is the focus of these extra classes. The green bars indicate the independent learning and other skills. Um, In in biology, we have um, numeracy skills, this blue bar here, which are often the focus of classes. And there's a small bar here of purple subject, related subject content, and this tended to be chemistry. So some biology lecturers work at institutes providing extra chemistry classes for biology students. We also asked, have you had to adapt your teaching approach in your, in your regular lessons um, in order to teach underprepared first-year undergraduates? And strikingly, 72% of lecturers said yes, they had had to adapt their teaching approach. Slightly less in maths, but for the other subjects, it was over 70%. And we asked, please explain, how, how have you done this? And the most frequently cited adaptation was to cover more basic, fundamental or lower level um, content. Um, that was quite striking and it was really marked. It was something like 80% of, of people said that. And then teaching and explaining study skills needed for higher level study was an adaptation that people had made. And then in biology, teaching more numeracy, mathematical and quantitative skills was the other adaptation. Remember that these lecturers, a large proportion of them had been teaching for over um, 11 years. So they were very experienced. So they were considering that the results tend to be considering that time period at least. 
Yes, so coming back to the roadshows, as with the questionnaire findings, uh, the participants in the focus groups also agreed that students' underpreparedness for university study had an impact on uh, teaching at higher education. The uh, participants gave us several examples of modules that they had in place to address these knowledge and skill deficits. Um, some of these modules were standalone in that they focused on generic skills which were applicable to a large variety of subjects um, and were provided by a non-teaching department of the university, for instance, the, the, the library and information sciences. So students were sent off to the library and they were taught how to carry out a literature search. In other cases, these modules were more integrated within a subject, so students were taught how to carry out a literature search and then were expected to produce a literature review in that uh, subject area. Uh, the attendance to these standalone modules was uh, in some cases compulsory and in other cases voluntary, although the participants did say that, um, that standalone voluntary modules were not very successful and had high attrition. In some cases, the, uh, the, the uh, students' performance in these modules was assessed and they were given a grade, so there was formal feedback. In other cases, it, uh, these modules were left non-assessed. Um, in addition to the modules uh, for addressing the knowledge and skill deficits, the participants also told us that they were practicing particular pedagogical techniques to build students' confidence uh, to, to develop these, these transferable gener generic skills. Uh, so, for instance, they were using tutorials to uh, build students' uh, knowledge and understanding in a particular area by encouraging them to read around that topic and by encouraging them to ask questions and to discuss those topics with their peers. Moving on to another um, more systemic issue now, we, we asked, um, we presented um, the lecturers with a range of different issues that have been raised at OCR's forums, and we said, which of the following, if any, are contributing factors to first-year undergraduates being underprepared for degree-level study? And here, 87% of, of lecturers said, too much teaching to the test at A-level. So it's not necessarily the syllabuses or the specifications that are, are not right, but it's how they're being taught, which, which seems to be the biggest concern. However, some people did also say, modular structure of A-level courses is, is a contributing factor. Some people mentioned the mismatch between course content and a, at A-level and degree level. And some lecturers indicated the lack of teaching beyond the A-level syllabus in schools and colleges was a contributing factor. A few lecturers mentioned the pressure on HE staff to accept weak um, applicants for funding reasons. And that was quite an interesting one. And then there were a few other responses as well. So in the roadshows, the, uh, the participants acknowledged that there were constraints on A-level teaching due to the pressures associated with the league tables. They also realized that the pressures at, on A-level teaching uh, meant that teachers weren't able to, uh, to um, you know, carry out in-depth teaching and learning and that this also limited the transfer of knowledge and skills across subjects. Now, the participants considered the opportunity to reset examinations a very big problem because they said that this created a culture of teaching to the test, over-reliance on past papers, on model answers, and on constant feedback. As we've been discussing in the previous slides, they also reiterated uh, that there wasn't enough focus on, in the A-level curriculum on some, on some important skills, for instance, academic writing or independent inquiry and research skills. And finally, some participants uh, seem to feel that uh, the syllabus of, syllabuses of some A-level subjects had content which varied significantly in important ways from university courses, which made uh, students' transition to university from school even more difficult. And thank you. And uh, we've got some quotes here that represent those views. So the second one, A-level economics is all very touchy-feely, and the university course happens to be uh, more mathematical. Now, we heard these views in relation to some other subjects, uh, particularly psychology and geography. The last question in the questionnaire was, if you're redeveloping A-levels, what is the single most important change that you would make to the A-level in your subject? Um, some lecturers stuck to the question and gave us one important change and others used this as an opportunity to share many different suggestions and changes. So we coded all of the data that we got, all the different suggestions, and the purple bars here indicate areas of improvement in pedagogy and among student learning. 
these pale bars here indicate systematic structural um, changes, large-scale structural changes to assessment, and the blue bars indicate topic and content suggestions. And there are a couple of other unclassable, un unclassifiable con um, changes that people, people suggested. This next glass slide shows examples of these different bars. This here are the purple, the purple ones. Um, the, there was a repeated suggestion for less teaching to the test, less spoon feeding, and to encourage more experimentation, exploration, more extensive reading, and to encourage critical thinking and independent learning skills. The systematic large-scale changes to assessment tended to be to have less predictable exam questions and to limit or even disallow resits, and to have more open-ended um, essay questions. Um, there was, Sally might, might say, say this could indicate a, an, a misunderstanding about the current nature of, of A-levels. Um, and then the final unseen examination was another suggestion, how that would work in our current accountability climate. It's difficult to see, but, but possibly. And that someone here suggested that actually change is needed at the primary educational level where um, the traditional teaching of numeracy and literature, um, literacy and so on have, have long gone. We've got some quotes here from the uh, focus group participants that corroborate the findings that um, Irink has just been sharing with you uh, about the focus uh, that participants wanted from A-level. So you can see that they want the, uh, the focus of assessment at A-level to shift from just passing examinations to assessment for learning. Um, the, the last one uh, quote here, if you ask for one thing that is practical, I would say don't allow students to have multiple goals at a piece of work, relates to their suggestion that uh, students should be allowed to work on a task completely and then be given feedback rather than be micro-supervised through all the stages of their task completion and so that students end up becoming dependent on feedback. Uh, one of the last aspects that we discussed in the focus groups with the participants was to explore their interest uh, in engagement with uh, development, with further development of A-levels. Uh, we presented them with a number of options uh, for this engagement. So we said that uh, from occasional participation in subject forums to a very high level of engagement via secondment opportunities to avoiding bodies. It was also suggested that their contribution could be formally recognized by including it in the research excellence framework. The general feeling among all the participants was that it was a good idea that HE was being asked to collaborate in the development of A-levels. Um, however, they said that in order to make it happen, we need to make it easier for, for, for them to participate. So in that respect, a lot of participants came to Sally and I and said that they really appreciated that we had conducted the focus groups close to their, uh, at places close to their university rather than expecting them to come to us or having these conversations on the telephone. Um, in addition to that, their recommendation was that we need to find the right people in the university, so people with, uh, with a prominent teaching profile, people who were interested in uh, learning and pedagogy. These are the people who should be asked to engage with A-level development. Um, secondment opportunities, they, they uh, found the idea interesting, but they didn't think that it was practically feasible because of time constraints. Instead, they suggested that it would be better for A-level teachers teachers to come to universities on secondment so that they can experience the, the course content at the university and also experience higher education teaching. They really welcomed the idea of uh, this uh, formal acknowledgement of their contribution and they said that uh, they would quite like to see the research excellence framework extending from just research to research and teaching excellence framework because they felt that uh, the, the assessment criteria cu currently do not incentivize uh, their contributions in this way. The current assessment criteria does not uh, acknowledge their, their pedagogical contributions. So just to summarise the key findings before Sally um, discusses some of the issues, there seems to be a healthy appetite for engagement among um, lecturers with, uh, with awarding bodies and qualifications developers. But over 50% of lecturers do think that undergraduates are, are underprepared. There seems to be too much teaching to the test, considered to be a major factor contributing to this, and this is, of course, a perception um, rather than a fact. Um, and ICT teamwork and presentation skills are those most likely to be considered strengths, whereas academic writing, self-directed study, independent inquiry, and critical thinking and higher-order skills 
are those most often considered weaknesses. The 40% of lecturers who were at Russell groups tended to be slightly more positive than the 60% who were from other universities. Now I'm going to hand over to Sally. Um, I'm just quickly going to sort of wrap up a bit, but I thought it's important to understand the context. I think it was was nice for us to hear from university lecturers that they understand the pressures that A-level teachers are under and that, you know, the pressures from parents, pupils themselves and that good grades, getting good grades is now paramount. It was also interesting to understand the context for HE because, of course, that is changing a lot. You know, charging fees of £9,000... The, the student being the consumer, um, and, things, and more quality measures, such as the National Student Survey. One of the other related points to this was a lot of conversation about textbooks, and we have dedicated textbooks that sit alongside our A-levels. You know, and one history lecturer looked at the textbook and said, there is just so much detail in here, it's encouraging memorisation, it's not encouraging interpretation. And so perhaps we need to look at the role of textbooks related to A-levels as well. In terms of breadth versus depth, well, this has been really interesting. And, you know, both Sandina and Arenka have talked about, you know, some of the differences that have come up um, with people's belief in um, whether we have enough depth in the current A-level. And there seem to be some themes around those subjects that you take, that you go on to, that you need to study at undergraduate level, perhaps need greater depth. And those subjects, such as economics, law and psychology, which you don't need for undergraduate study, might not need so much depth. And even in some instances, people talked about them being actually detrimental to um, undergraduate study. One other point about breadth versus depth is that the UK HE market is becoming increasingly internationalised. And of course, um, they're going to be faced with um, people taking students which, on the whole, take a much broader range of subjects in sort of baccalaureate style um, examinations and, and actually have less depth than A-levels do at the moment. So that's something that HE is um, going to have to think about. And also around the sort of depth, I mean, we live in a culture where you can access knowledge at the click of a button. So do we need to give everybody the knowledge they need? Perhaps we just need to give them the skills to understand that knowledge. And then finally, whose responsibility? I mean, I think you'll pick up that there's a lot of thank you for coming to us and we'd like teachers, <laughs> teachers coming to us on secondment. So there's a sense about, you know, whose responsibility, where does, where does, you know, it end with A-level and begin with HE. And one academic put it, you know, we can't really expect our students to become fully prepared for undergraduate study because that means you've done the hard bits and we just get the nice bits. And I think, you know, we need to sit down and work out those lines of responsibility. Um, In terms of next steps, well, we've talked here about the views of undergraduate lecturers and we always do seek the views of teachers and other stakeholders, but we're very keen to broaden that and we're doing some work around that. We're continuing dialogue with the Department for Education and all all of the mission groups. And you'll know that as there is this policy change going on, um, we have the off-call consultation coming up in the middle of June that will run to September. We're expecting new criteria to be announced on, in October 2012, new specifications to be in schools by 2013, and the teaching of new A-levels for 2014. So we've got a policy timetable at the moment, but we hope there'll be further research opportunities and we'll be, continue to be part of the rolling programme. So that's it. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.